Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast, sponsored, of course, by the Fat Boar Bar and Restaurant. We've got a special preview pod for you this week uh, as we approach possibly the biggest Easter weekend in Wrexham AFC history. It's a, it's a big one, isn't it, Tim? It's rather on the gargantuan side, yes. It's pretty enormous. Um, seismic, a lot could hinge on it. Well, a, a lot will hinge on it ultimately. So, yeah, exciting times. Notts County, Easter Monday, three o'clock, sold out, live on the box. Um, yeah, what's not to like? You should be well up for it. It's going to be good. Yes, exciting times indeed. Uh, uh, I think, sorry, did that go weird? I'll do that again. Yes, exciting times and nervous times i think for uh every wrexham fan who knows uh how things like this have gone for us in the past um but tim you've got some housekeeping for us haven't you yeah just a few bits and bobs you mentioned the fat boar there our uh illustrious sponsor just want to say a big congrats to rich and his uh, other half jade on their forthcoming third child so uh, congratulations to them um, need to thank Jack Harris and also to uh, Dylan Bostock of Boston Bostock Air Conditioning for helping us out with talkie tickets because that was absolutely chaos on Monday. Uh, I was number 1000 and something in the queue. Everything sold out in four minutes. Um, so yeah, that was chaos. So thank, big thanks to, to Jack and Dylan for, for helping us source those tickets. Massively appreciated. Delighted to be going to that match April 29th, which is now 5.30 kickoff as they all are on that day. So 5.30, the talkie game. Um, and yeah, then another big thanks goes to everybody's donated via our uh, Buy Us A Coffee link. Uh, we set that up in the hope people might fancy contributing to the pod. You know, and now this will be episode 102. And we've done it, you know, out of the goodness of our heart, give our own time. So we just thought it'd be nice if anybody wanted to contribute. And people have. Um, so massive thanks to, to all those who support us. It really does help um, fund the, the, the various costs involved with doing a pod. So massive, massive thanks to you guys. Um, a slightly uh, sort of more somber note, um, Luxembourg Red, uh, James Roberts um, was laid to rest on Tuesday. Um, I'm, I'm told it was a very, very uh, humbling turnout. Um, you know, really, really well attended. Um, yeah, Bread of Heaven and Umar Ahid were playing during the service. So yeah, I just wanted to make note of that. Obviously, you know, big fan of Wrexham and uh, he'll be he'll be sorely missed. So yeah, um, RIP to you, James. Um, and yeah, just the last real note after that is I just wanted, well, everybody at, at Fearless Towers really wanted to say, uh, send our big, huge best wishes to massive Wrexham fan, uh, Sam Jones. He's only 18, but last month he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Um but like the true Wrexham fan he is, he asked uh, his surgeon at Broad Green Hospital in Liverpool if he would basically delay the operation until after the Notts County game so he could attend it. So um, the surgeon has agreed to that. So Jack, um, Jack, I got it all wrong. I? Sam even, Sam will be going to both the Halifax game and the Notts County game. Um, and I just hope that the, the lads give, uh, 
give him a massive boost and a win on Monday ahead of his operation on Tuesday. So good luck with that, Sam. Um, you are in very good hands. My dad went to that hospital for uh, the exact same thing earlier this year and uh, they looked after him and he's now cancer-free. So um, I'm very, very, very confident you will uh, come through it as well. So that's the housekeeping done. Oh, is it? We now that we have finally unblocked the email, um, and uh, we have what else have we done? We've got access to the email. More importantly, we have been inundated by an email. Uh, Tim, I mean, it's it's just saying nice things about us, isn't it? So, I mean, it's uh, this feels a bit vainglorious, but still, let, let's read out. Why not? It is. You've completely caught me on the hop because I completely forgot about that. So now I need to go and uh, go and dig it out. There it is. It was uh, from uh, Curtis, Curtis Wynn, at Curtis Wynn on Twitter. And he just basically said, uh, good evening all at FID. I hope you're all keeping well. I follow Wrexham since the LDB final win. Um, so he's basically seen the demise, but hoping to witness greatness given what's happened with the takeover, etc. He's been on Red Passion as Wrexham winner for years too. And through that, he's been aware of fearless and devotion. He's also followed us on Twitter for a while. He recently started listening to the pods. Apologies, I'm late to the party. And I take my Rex and Beanie off to you all. Absolutely brilliant pods and really enjoyable with great guests. Just keep up the great work as always and I look forward to hearing more from you guys. See you around the race course and all the best. Come on, you Reds. He's then put fearless in donation, which I think is probably a, a, a typo. But if you want to fearlessly donate, please feel free. Oh, is it a typo? It's a, it's a wonderful Freudian fraud, slip, uh, yes. I think. So but then he just... Uh, finished up with let's hope the team club continue and deliver the the, the following uh lyrics he's put but yeah i'm, I'm sure he means success i don't know I'm, I'm i'm far too knee deep in coffee to to get that Indeed. last bit but massive thanks to curtis for uh for that uh very very kind uh direct message indeed um i should say i know it's a freudian slip as well don't worry uh that me saying freudian was a freudian slip um <laughs> Uh, however, we've got, as we mentioned, this is just a special little bonus pod for you this week uh, ahead of a massive weekend in the National League, uh, as we've already described it, a massive weekend uh, in Wrexham AFC history, potentially. Um, so after the break, we will be discussing all this with some special guests. There is no other title race quite like it. Both sides have tore up the National League in a quest for one automatic promotion spot. Wrexham have gained 100 points from 40 games, scoring 105 goals. Notts County have gained 97 points from 41 games, scoring 103 goals. They have six and five games respectively left. One of those is being rightly billed as the National League's biggest ever. Easter Monday, 3pm, Wrexham versus Notts County at the racecourse ground. Sold out. We'll be there, as will our guests who join us right now. They are Thomas Wagstaff and George Vizard. Together, they are Notts County Talk. How are you both, gents? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, good, thanks. Was that was that a grand enough entrance for you? You see, you seem slightly sombre. This is worrying me already, like you're just sort of playing it safe. No, no, it's perfectly executed. It was a good intro. It's a good intro. Happy days. So... Let, let's go right back to the start of the season. Um, did, did either of you envisage it 
to be this intense and fierce the way it's played out? It's kind of gone how I thought in a different way. So uh, Will, who, who's on our channel quite a lot, myself and him did like uh, pre-season predictions. And I had Wrexham and Knott's top two, but I had you sacking Phil Parkinson by like November. I genuinely <laughs> didn't think he'd still be there. Um, I was surprised you kept him. Well, I thought your owners might have changed him in the summer, um, but fair play is still there. I, ha- I had you up there, had us up there, but um, not with this points tally either. Nowhere near this points tally, nowhere near this many goals. And I also had, I think I had Chesterfield very close behind us, but it, it, it's gone nothing like really how I predicted. So I'm saying for you, George, as well, it just, it's just kind of eclipsed what any of us could have could have imagined really yeah massively I think you know going into this weekend I mean I'd like to think uh, that Knotts will be on 100 points as well so for two teams you know with what was it four or five games left after after Friday um, to, to be on 100 points or maybe more is it's phenomenal in, in any league um, and you know there's so many people talking about the National League at the minute uh, obviously the, the owners that you have helped that but I think in terms of the title race, it, it's it's as close as you'll ever see it, really. I think at, at, at any level. Yeah, I mean, just think it's it's just. I don't think anybody can quite picture how it's gone. I mean, yeah, the takeover. Yes, the owners here have helped sort of cast an even brighter spotlight on the uh, on the national league. But I mean, is it is it fair to say that? I mean, I think Notts County have. have undoubtedly pushed Wrexham all the way and vice versa. And I suppose the point I'm getting to is, I, I don't even think the words begrudging respect is that. I, I just think, from my point of view, most people I've spoken to have said, if we go up as champions, who would you like to see win it through the playoffs? 90% of people that I've spoke to as a, as a kind of a, a straw poll have said, it's got to be not kind of purely because of of the the gaps between the top two and the rest of it and the way it's panned out. I mean, it's clear that both sides are, without sounding disrespectful or, or vain, both sides are clearly at a point now where you can confidently say that they're too good for this league. Is, is that is that fair from, from a, a Knott's point of view? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's definitely fair. I mean, like you sort of said, we've sort of pushed each other, haven't we? Uh, and I think vice versa, I suppose, to, to some degree. I'm sure there's some fans that would disagree and say, oh, I would like to see either side sort of drop out of the playoffs if they get in there. But I think on a footballing level to achieve uh, the amount of points, the amount of wins, the amount of goals that we've seen this season, it'd be unfair it's purely on a footballing level to say, you know, you don't want to see either side go up, you know. So, yeah, that's that's my opinion. I think other. I think every other side in this division wants us both out of it. If I'm honest, I, I don't think I've seen loads of fans from other teams, Chesterfield, Woking, Barnet, saying like, just get these two out of the league because next year. I mean, next year if you didn't go up, next year I'm sure you'd strengthen again. I'm sure we would. I think we'd lose a few players, but we'd get a bit of money for a couple of those players, um, and we'll just go again. So, yeah, the, the the right thing would be for us both to go up. And the thing that everyone else wants is for them us both to go up. The things we want is for us both to go up. So, yeah, I think it'll make it'll make sense. I think there's a sense as well, isn't there, that as you say, um, we're not both clubs are building, 
and there's quite firm foundations down. So it's not like it's shit or bust for want of a better expression, as it feels for maybe a couple of the other teams that maybe have spent a bit more money than they can afford. Um, so yeah, I think you know both are both sets of fans deep down think would like to see us both go up. Obviously, there's you know there's there's, there's been a rivalry throughout the season, so I'm sure. There is an element as well of, I mean, I think it would be totally unnatural if you didn't have a part of you that thought it would be funny if the other team didn't <laughs> go up because that's just life in it and it's always been the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in, in terms of Monday, um, obviously we both got quite big games on Friday. Um, you know, first and foremost, both sides need to get three points out of that. But maybe not touching on any kind of result yet, but how do you see the game going on Monday? Because I, I'm just sort of, picturing that sort of pre-match atmosphere and trying to listen to it in my head now it's going to be crackling but how do you think things are going to go on the pitch what kind of game will it be I don't know how sides have come to to your ground and played but teams have come to Medellin from maybe like November when they realised how well we're doing and they would just sit there and just soak up pressure and you probably saw the Dagenham game they stayed with us yeah just sat there and just waited for us to not take one of our 50 chances and then they broke and F Young scored. I think for the first time, I don't know if it will, there might be other teams that are in it, but we'll come to try and attack you. We won't just sit in. Um, and if we did, it'd be massively against what Luke Williams is like instilled in the players and for the fans. We've never gone anywhere and sat in. So um, I expect us to come and, come and give it a go. Um, the, only, the only thing I'm wondering about is we've battered every team on possession stats every game like at one point in the Barnet first half I know we went in 1-1 we had 80% possession in the first half I don't know what will happen at your place but we obviously won't get that much It's about rising to the occasion for me I think we've got a relatively it's not young but it's on the younger side I think you know in terms of average for the league I think it's up there with one of the lowest um, so I think we might see a few older faces in there that can maybe not buckle under that pressure and that Williams will probably have Luke Williams will have faith in to not buckle under that pressure. Um, but I think both teams sort of have that. I mean, it's really, for me, it's really difficult um, to, to sort of call it. But I will say, Knots have been playing the best football that I've ever seen them play in the time of me supporting them. And we've lost two games this season. Uh, one of them at home to Dagenham was just, you could have played that game 2,000 times, 10,000 times, and you'd have lost that game once. You know, we, we, and you'd have won it the rest of the times. We, we, we've just been so good and we've been really good on the road as well. Our, our away form is, I'm sure, I think it's better than our home form this season. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I back knots to, to go anywhere in this league and win because it's what we've been doing all season. You know, we've lost two games. Uh, to be fair, one was at home, one was away. Even Dorkin, the the one that we lost away, that was a bit of a freak game because the the game just sort of switched and opened up for them because they they got a, a fluky goal. Um, sometimes that's football, isn't it? But like like I said, to sort of go back to my point, I I honestly back knots to, to to win any game away from home. If you could pick, let's let's kind of dig dig deep into the detail. If you could pick, I mean, I imagine I know, I imagine I almost know what you're going to say about picking one particular strength in the team. But if you could pick one strength and one weakness from your own side, and you know, if you you know fire that question back at us, we'll do the same. But we're just curious to sort of because you know people will rightly see that when we when we went there, we got we got unstuck by that 
training ground move that Langstaff put away. Uh, and that was that. We didn't play particularly well in the night. I thought Howard had a good game for us in goal. Um, you know, so I thought, you know, probably shaded it to be fair. And it was, it was a pretty fair result. So I suppose since then, you know, because what, five months ago where it was, you know, both teams have, have gone to a new level. So is there any obvious strengths and weaknesses? I imagine they know what the strength is, but can you pick any out? The strength is the ball retentions far superior to this league. You'd, you'd see this league one championship level ball retention. Um, there was I went to Altrincham last Tuesday night. From about 55th minute to maybe the 80th minute, I don't think they got into our half. Um, we just passed it sideways and you know, usually you think oh, this is getting boring. It's not because we're always creating chances with it and we're pulling teams out of positions and use the wing-backs really well. So for me, the, ball, the way we keep the ball, it makes for a, a game where you're not always on edge because uh, who was it, George? Um, it was the, do- the Dorky manager said, we're going to make not do something when we go that they don't do and that's defend. And that's because we keep the ball so well, we never really have to, to defend. The weakness from that is that without fail, every single game, there's one a minimum of one mistake. Altrincham, as I've just said, 55th minute to 80th, they didn't touch the ball. By 85th minute, they broke on us, hit the ball because we gave the ball away. Mm. They score that 2-1 going into the final few minutes. It's different. So there is, there is, I haven't, there's very few games this season where we haven't made an error defensively, but it comes with the style we play. And if we didn't play like that, we wouldn't be as effective. To, to reinforce what Tom's saying there as well, the, the way we play, we, we, we pass the ball so much that, you know, it's, it's inevitable that one or two of those passes are going to be misplaced. It's, it's inevitable. Like Tom said, that's the level that we're at. Um, but, you know, when it when it's right, which is a, a good percentage of the time, a large margin of the time, it is spot on. Uh, it works really well for us. But there is that sort of, I'm not even going to say 1% because I think it's a lot less than that, where the, the passes get misplaced. And because we play such a high line, you know, if they're, if, if the opposition team are on us, you know, it can leave us very open. So I, I think that's one of our weaknesses. But on the flip side to, to the reason that that happens, it's one of our strengths, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been sat at Med Lane so many times this season and I'm thinking of games, Oldham, we won 4-1. They, they like broke on us once and scored. Most of the time, sides get one or two opportunities when we're fully on it and they don't take them. I remember, I think it was Altrincham at home. They had a chance and they hit, put it over the bar. I've sat next to George so many times and I've said, Wrexham would have put that away though or Mullin would have scored that chance. Because some of these teams, respect to some of them, they get one chance and their strikers are on sort of single figures this season and they have, they're not in goal-scoring form. But I've said to George many times, that happens when we go to Wrexham, they've scored or they only get mm. one chance. So it will be interesting because I can almost guarantee you'll get an opportunity from us misplacing a pass or pressing us, something like that, unless we're completely on it, which I don't know. It would be hard. There's a lot of pressure on the game. I'd be interested to know what, what you guys think about Rex and then what like fire the, the question back at you guys. Whoa. Go on, Reese. You're quite the negative ninny. You can go for the weakness. Negative well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you okay, I'll try and give you a strength and a weakness. Um strength, I think, is oh god, that is quite difficult. In terms of one ultimate one, it, for us it wouldn't be ball retention like it is with you, although we can we can play nice football. I think we scored a couple of peaches last week against Oldham. I think I would say the strength that the team has developed this year more than anything is just, it just seems like they never believe they're going to lose. And um, 
you know, a couple of times we've got ourselves into scrapes, uh, not so much more recently, but, you know, in the middle of the season where, you know, we've end, we, we've, we've gone 1-0 down, we've gone 2-1 down, we've conceded a sort of latest equaliser in the sort of 70s, maybe early 80s minutes, and you can tell they still think they're going to win and they still score late on. It seems like they can turn it on when they want to. In terms of weaknesses, um, you know what, it's hard. I mean, it, I think I would have said, you know, Mark Howard's actually played really well, but our team is so good, <laughs> I think, that if you were picking out a weakness, it would be there's been one or two goals that went in that maybe could have been saved, but obviously we've just signed Ben Foster. Um, in terms of other things, maybe sometimes a tendency to be satisfied with it, or not satisfied, but not push on for another goal a couple of times where we feel like we could have done, um, or maybe I'm being harsh, because um, that caught us out a couple of times earlier on. I don't know, Tim, weaknesses, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because I think, you know, it's, it's it's good for us in the sense that any perceived weaknesses have pretty much been ironed out at this stage or they feel like they've been ironed out at this stage. And he, even saying weakness, uh, uh, it sounds like it's, it's, it's been disrespectful to a specific player, but it's really not. It, it just goes back to what Reese is saying, is that when you bring in players that are a level above what you've had previously, ultimately it's going to force those players out and, we got like Max Cleworth, young defender, very highly rated, and he will go far in the game. Maybe still a little bit raw undercooked, but he's, I think he's almost played 50 games for us already. And I think he's, how old is he? He's dead. He's really young. So, but there was a couple of occasions against, you know, Coventry, higher level team, obviously, where I was at Sheffield United. There was a couple of times where he got slightly caught, caught out. So, not necessarily a weakness, just kind of a learning process. And, these types of seasons where you can't afford to give players learning processes because it could come back to bite them. All of a sudden they made a scapegoat. So I'm, you know, I'm struggling to, to sort of think of any, maybe that's not the great example, but. Tell you what, I'll go with the only, you know, the, the only sort of points we've dropped recently made and head away to all. Um, what I would say there as a weakness was really, we didn't turn up. We didn't really turn up for whatever reason. We weren't playing well. Um, you know, we got two goals thanks to a really nice set piece move, and you know, basically thanks to Mullin. Um, and that's rare because it's it, you know, even though he scored a lot of goals, I, I wouldn't say that necessarily we depend on him that much. We go quite a few games sometimes, and he doesn't score. Or many other lot of other players score, but I think sometimes we can more. It's been more away from home just not turn up. Now, nine times out of 10, we're still grinding out results anyway. But if we don't turn up on Monday, obviously that would be different. I think, you know, the, the, obviously the calibre of both sides means that both sides need to be right on top of it. Um, but Tim, you've got some questions from your, uh, our followers, haven't you? Yeah, I'll, I'll come to those um, in a sec, just in terms of the strength of stuff as well. Yeah, probably the, the mental kind of fortitude of, of this team now. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but... I think sometimes you can kind of gloss over how important the mental approach to games are. You know, if you're not switched on and you don't have somebody in that addressing you to, to pick up on the idea that you're not switched on, then you're kind of screwed. But it's the same with any teams that are fighting at the top end of the division are going to have a spine of leaders in that team. We've got that. We've added to it with, with, with the likes of Foster and so on. So the mental strength now just seems, you know, on the surface, it's far better than what it ever was in terms of just that belief 
that they're going to go out there and not come away empty-handed, you know, which you need to have anyway in any walk of life, especially in you know, the sporting sort of realm. But there's just something about him. There's there's the there's a certain edge, I guess. Is is what what it, what it feels like anyway. I think that's why we're not out this league. Um, <clears throat> I think I look, I look back on previous seasons. I don't know what you you thought. I know you had, you know, the last two seasons especially have been well. This season that's pretty much up there. But I look back at the season where I think it was Sutton won the league, and I think yeah. to myself, what a, what a wasted opportunity. I look at the one where it was Barrow won the league, and I know it was cut short by COVID, but at the same time, we let Barrow come to Medellin and win three 0 celebrate in front of the cop however many times, and just rolled over for them. We've had, I don't want to say because a lot of the players, a lot of the players are still there, but we've had, and George will agree, we've had such a weak mentality for like the past three or four years. This year is so, so different. And that's the only reason we're at the top. We, we go to Eastleigh. I don't think we picked up a point at Eastleigh since we've been in the National League. We went and, and won there. Torquay, never do well. We got beat 5-1 last year when we needed a result. We went there. 2-1 win, George. Rodriguez sent off for the final 25 minutes. Still won. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't win at these places. So I think this league especially, if you, if you don't have that resilience to get a win, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah, um, no, that's that's exactly. why we have That's why we're still in here. I think. Yeah, let's hope we're both both out of it by uh, the end of this month. <laughs> right? Yeah. So questions, like I put a tweet out, um, just to sort of throw it open, really, just to see what people wanted to ask you. So I've got seven or eight. We'll we'll, we'll blast through them. So, uh, Yankee, a red dragon fan, said he'd like to hear both our opinions. As to whether Rexham or not would have reached such heights of 100 points, 97 points and onwards, um, if the other team hadn't been applying so much pressure. So suppose, you know, would we have got this sort of record where we're at if one or the other wasn't as good as the other, I suppose? Um, hard one to call, I suppose. Yeah, it is a hard one to call. Um, for me, like to, to sort of go back to your point of, of mentality, uh, we, we've noticed a massive improvement on mentality this season. Humongous. Like, it's one of the, the main things we talk about. Um, so for me, I'd like to think we'd still have reached those heights um, because the mentality that we're seeing, it's just, you know, every game is must win. Um, but, you know, the, the levels that both teams are playing, at, I, I generally do believe each team uh, is sort of pushing each other. Yeah, uh, it's 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 pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, it's, it no, as much as both of us would have said, "Oh, it, it, we'd all be delighted now having a party, thinking it's done and dusted." So for it to be still kind of hanging in the balance with you know six and five games is just—I mean, you have to say it's testament to the recruitment of both clubs um, and the implementation of that recruitment because. I love it when people say, oh, yeah, but you've just chucked loads of money out and you bought the league. We've put some money in, yeah, granted. But I always say the same thing, that you can you can chuck as much money as much money as it uh, as you want, but you've still got to get those players motivated to play a certain way in a certain style or have the ability to mix it up to get the results. And we've seen, we'll definitely see it in, in the next season of the documentary, that this group is so tight. Like, you know, it's one of those you think, is it going to be that classic case of I'm earning more than you and you're earning more than me? That's kind of, it feels to me that that's like the last thing on their mind. Like, it's very much, this is the task in hand. Let's get it done. 
and then let's see what we can do after that. So, well, yeah. you just you just got to look at Forest Green, haven't you? I mean, in terms of how much money they threw at it, it still took them three four seasons of mm-hmm. spending that kind of money to get up. Like, you know, it's football. If it was, if you could just guarantee promotion by spending money, then everyone would do it and just spend one pound more than everyone else. Um, I'm just looking, can I, shall I ask some of these questions as well, Tim? Um, do you, have you, do you have them? I have them in front of me. I'm prepared. Do you? I do. Oh, yeah. do, you, oh, do you have them? Oh yeah, of course. I was like, how have you got them? I wrote them out. Twitter, like, Twitter is a public forum. So I don't know if you noticed. Um, uh, there's one here that says, um, have you had any recent changes in the back line due to injury? Because um, there was still some talk of that a couple of weeks ago. So what's the latest on that? And are you still struggling to score? Maybe that was a bit harsh, but do you not still score many goals from set pieces? We don't, we don't really score any from set pieces that I can think of. Um, we scored one from a corner recently. I can't remember who that was against, but it was it was the real anomaly. Like we, we sort of looked at each other and thought, we just scored from a corner. It was, um, I think it was Eastley, and I think they'd given up at that point. They left Macaulay Langstaff unmarked in the 87th minute. Yeah. Um, we don't, because every single corner is a short corner, and then we pass it back to the halfway line, let them all come out, and then we attack them again. Mm. Um, about percentage-wise, we... Luke Williams looks at percentages and it's the best way to keep the ball or something like that. Um, and ever since we started doing the court, the free kick routines like we scored against you at Medellin, teams have just really wised up to that now. So we don't score from set pieces. Defensive-wise, um, what do we think, George? I think injured, I think. Yeah, I think he could be in contention, though. I th- I potentially. I mean, we might see him on Friday. Uh, I know Brindley's back. He had quite a long time out. He was one of the the, the back three. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> we've got at the minute Rawlinson who, who steps in. He, he does a great job. He's been at the club since we got relegated down here. Um, real warrior type. Uh, Cameron, who's our captain, fantastic player. Um, really good technical ability as well. So uh, we could we could be one short maybe. Uh, but with Brindley coming back, I think we should be okay. So, yeah, I don't think we're full. We're not full, full strength in defence, but we're not far off. Not, not now, anyway. We went through a few games where we were pretty short. Uh, Wrexham Carl, um, you might take umbrage to this. <laughs> Have Wrexham uh, taken the focus off not, not spending? Uh, Wrexham get all the hate from rival fans, but their spending is also ridiculous. Now, you've uh, recently... <laughs> You've recently interviewed the owners, and we've yet to have that pleasure on our uh, our podcast. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> so yeah, tell us. I, I don't have the, the the inside track on on how much money not to spend, et cetera, et cetera. It's a fair bit by all accounts. Um, yeah. So have Rexon taken the focus off your spending power? Do you want to go, George, or me? Uh, I th- I think the obvious answer is yes, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, it, like f- for an example, like I, I, I've said this on our channel as well. I'm well aware that our budget is, you know, top three in the league, without a doubt. We we do spend a lot. We we you know we pay fee for players, which fees for players, which is something that you know in the last sort of decade we've not seen a lot of as not fans. So we obviously know we're spending money. Um, but yeah, I think it does sort of get get sort of covered up, as opposed to some degree by some of the caliber of of uh, players that, that you guys have been bringing in. Um, 
obviously Ben Foster playing Premier League football last season. Um, I can't remember the centre back you brought in from League One recently when you had that uh, injury. O'Connell, yeah. yeah. Um, like th- these are signings that, as though we have a big budget, I think would be beyond our reach. I think. Could you imagine if you weren't in the, in the league with us, and we signed like we signed John Bostock? What yeah. Was a big deal. Mm. We literally got John Bostock playing central midfield for us. If Wrexham weren't in the league or you never got taken over, people would be going crazy that John Bostock's playing for Knox. There's obviously a pull of him wanting to play, but there's obviously a pull of that there has to be some money there for him to be in the National League. So yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks to Wrexham, no one really. <laughs> so it's it's all it's relative, true. isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think as well as you say, you know, as it stands, probably in terms of quality of players brought in, it's a well, the amount of money spent is probably about reflective. We're first or second in terms of how much you know spending power we have. Um, anyway, this is an interesting one from S J Aney Lighting, Straney Lighting. Um, oh yeah, this is good. Um. We'll go after you, but if you could swap only one player, so if you could have only one of ours, who would it be? And then we'll tell you as well. I've, I've thought about it. It's easy. Very easy for me. Uh, Hayden, 100%. We don't score from set pieces. If we scored from set pieces, we'd have won the Dagenham game, would have won the overall game we drew. It's very, very easy question for me. We don't, obviously, we'd like to have Mullin. We don't need another goal scorer. We don't need another midfielder. Hayden, I would take him straight away. We can take him right now. He's injured. Um, so, yeah, nice one. Bill <laughs> <laughs> might score from a corner. More chance of scoring than player. Yeah, he, he still scored with his head with one leg. That bloke, yeah. he's a colossus. I, I think I'd agree with Tom. Possibly Mendy. Ooh, well, that's a left. That's a left uh, out of field, that one. Didn't expect that one. Our, 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 our wing-back, Chickson, is, what, 11 goals? Jesus. I'll take him can't really take a man on, so it frustrates everyone. But then he scored eleven goals. But I, I, I know what George is saying. But positionally, yeah, no, you know when he it's down the opposing wing, he gets in really good positions to sort of attack the far post. But yeah, no, he struggles to take a man on, and he we we sort of need for me someone in that sort of left wing back position that can take a man on. Mm. Well then, t- go on then, Tim. <sighs> yeah, I, I, part of me. I think previously I would have said the most obvious one would have been Langstaff just to see what they would have been like as a pair. But we're pretty lucky in that, that sort of position now, really, with with Dalby Palmer and, and Billy Waters as well. So I think I'm going to go and be dead obvious and say Rodriguez, I think, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that's the most obvious one where, you, you, you know, you just want a player to excite you. Um, and he seems like the sort of, player that does and would you just want to you want to get you want a player that's going to get you off off your seat and it's great to have that in a goal scorer but it'd be nice to to get that earlier on in the plays yeah i'm gonna do the opposite um and even though i'm very tempted by rodriguez myself i think we're relatively well covered in that position in that you know we've got elliot lee and i think that you know they're they, they sort of play a lot of the same role and then we've Davis, um, you know, off the bench, who's another great attacking midfielder, can play, you know, really well as an attacking midfielder. So I'll go with Langstaff. Um, you know, and I think before we signed Billy Walters, that would have been really obvious because, um, you know, I think we needed someone else like Mullin. Um, you know, we do occasionally go 4-3-3 when the game is still a draw 
um, when we're looking for that goal. We did it against Sheffield United. Um, we've done it a few times this season when we sort of needed a goal in the last 20 or 30 minutes. And that would be exciting. Dolby, Mullin and Langstaff up front or Palmer, Mullin and Langstaff. Um, so yeah, that would be mine. Something I'd like to know though, because we've never been able to ask opposition fan this, what's your thoughts on Matty Palmer? Because we feel like no team really thinks about him at all, but he runs our whole team. Hands on heart. I don't watch enough of you guys. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could tell you. So I, what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll let you know after Monday. I'll keep, I have seen a lot. I know he's really highly rated by you guys. I see that online a lot. Um, and you know, those players are always integral. Um, and you know what? Maybe actually earlier in the season, maybe he would have been just what we wanted because there was still, as Tim was saying in a recent podcast, earlier in the season, you know, quite a few people, including me, still didn't quite feel that we'd nailed the midfield. Like we'd, you know, with a great defence, great strike force, as we know, but there was still something a little bit missing. We were controlling a game. That's kind of changed because Tom O'Connor has been so good. Andy Cannon has been so good. Um, but maybe Matty Palmer could, as you say, if he, if he runs the game, he could have been perfect for us. Yeah, same. I'm, 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 I'm that sort of classic old school that I don't really watch much football unless it's unless it's my own team or yeah, yeah. It happens to be whacked on BBC or something. I won't go majorly out of my way, but yeah, you do, you do see a lot of Palmer in the uh, non-league paper team of the week and stuff. So he's clearly doing something right. Um, yeah, and I, I watch all the highlights, but you don't get. Yeah, the, you don't get the control of a player like that in your highlights, do you? You don't see yeah, how yeah, he's yeah. running the team. Um, but anyway, uh, Tim, what's the next question? Yeah, we've got a few. We've got a few left, so I'll blast through him. Um, a couple of cheeky ones. Let's get let's get the uh, the slightly cheeky fun ones out of the way. Nick Riptide, do you think Notts County Zone is a wind up merchant Wrexham fan, or is it you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, de- it's definitely not us. Do you know who it is? No, I ain't got a clue. Nah. Has he has he deleted his Twitter? Oh, no, he's been quiet for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's he disappeared. Genuinely couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um Eddie Wrexham, how do you think you'll get on in the playoffs? <laughs> uh, uh, if it comes to that. That's a good that is a good question, to be fair, I think. because uh, it, it could have an effect that we didn't win the league. Um well, it had an effect on us last year, I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'd like to say it, sh- it should be relatively straightforward because there's not many teams, there's no team in this league really that, that I'd fear, but um, given that you've sort of gone all season losing so few games and playing so well, it's got to have some sort of mental effect on the on the players. I'm looking at the playoffs now. I think we've beaten every team in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Barnet was 4-1. I know we drew there, but we beat them at home for one and then the game will be at home. We beat Eastley 3-1 at home. Bourne will be drew with, but we should, should have won. There you go. So that... We, I, mean, I was going to say, Tim, you know, we are experts in this because... Oh, yeah. yeah, perennial playoff bottlers. The last the last 15 years, really. I mean, it took us a couple <laughs> of years to get going in the National League um, since about Oh, was it was it 2010? I think Tim, it's just been you know ridiculous. And you know, listeners of this podcast will probably be bored with this reference, but you've probably seen it yourselves. There was a season where we got 98 points in um, 2012, 2011, 2012. Um, Fleetwood obviously um, with Jamie Vardy um, beat us to it. And 
what I and I hope this isn't the case for you, and I truly, truly do. But um, there's been a lot of people, including us, um, sort of tentatively making comparisons to that season this season, uh, but actually the other way around. So we are kind of the Fleetwood, and you are kind of Wrexham because that season we were playing some gorgeous football. We were beating teams comfortably. Um, and every every Saturday, you know, we'd be on it. We'd be checking the scores afterwards, and Fleet would have scraped past another team two one because Vardy scored the ninety second minute winner, and it was just relentless. And they pulled away the last sort of six or seven games, mm-hmm. um, and then you could just see that. In I think we, in fact, I think we lost like two of the last four games and lost three of the last something like that. Uh, you know, we were well on course. We were on course for well over 100 points. And you could just see it was a body blow. We just, you know, the first, as soon as the first kickoff in the first semi-final of that playoffs, we just, we, we were out of it. Um, and similar thing happened actually more recently, didn't it, Tim? 2018 Eastley, um, when they did us at the race course, um, you know, and they oh. were, they, they finished yeah. God knows how many points behind us that season. Him, um, and, him and the referee and the goal that bounced down off the crossbar over the line. Yes. But we don't want to get into referees. No, but I mean, it's, we know psychologically it's hard. Um, as you say, though, what you guys have been saying is that your mentality seems a lot better this season. And I think, I think you'd like to think, and it seems from what Luke Williams is saying, that you guys will have been mentally preparing. I don't think there's anything wrong with mentally preparing for the... Um, the possibility that you're going to finish second. In fact, I think it's daft not to, because yeah. what what happens then when you when you're spent and you and you're saying we're going to win the league, win the league, and then you don't, then you've got no. I think mentally that's hard to recover from. Then, yeah, I think Luke Williams will 100% have been prepping for us to come second. And to be honest, I think it started a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw the press conference uh, where he sort of talks about he was basically saying that you've won the league. Um, so I think he was sort of prepping. Maybe the fans, uh, and you know, he's not going to be sleeping on the fact that they're second, and you know, you guys are, you know, you're in the advantage, uh, advantageous position of being first with a game in hand. Um, yeah, you won't, you won't be sleeping on that. So I, I think you're probably right. We probably will be preparing for it, but it, it's still a blow after the season you've had, isn't it? I also think that the, there's like a sort of a sweet spot where, say, we were to lose because anything happened in this league, lose to a wheelstone on Friday or drop points and then lost to you. I think that's, that's very early for you to win the league. And then it's, what, four games for us still to go, three games. I think if you, if you were to win the league, two, two, two games towards the end would be perfect for us. Last day would be a disaster. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that's a good point because that's exactly what happened to us last season, isn't it, Tim? And I mean, we had a mathematical chance of winning the league on the last day, as unlikely as it was. Um, and that's really hard to recover from. Then you've got to turn yourself around in a week. Um, well, that, that, that was that that defeated Dagenham Redbridge when we could have won it. Math about that still remains Phil Parkinson's heaviest defeat, three nil. That's his heaviest defeat, which is well, it's not it's not mad, but it's, it's weird. And you think that's his heaviest defeat, and that's last year or last season. Um, but yeah, just it's just a. It's just a, a crazy anomaly of a season. I and mean, it'll be, I mean, without this turning into not direct some loving, it will be, I'll stand by it, it will be a football injustice if both sides don't get promoted. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says. The, I'm, the only thing I would say is, you know, as we, we could still finish second, you know, quite easily, um, I, you know, I think we should go on to win the league now. Um, and we're obviously the firm favourites being in the position that we're in. There's something about Chesterfield that, that makes me nervous or that certainly would make me nervous, just only because Colclough is a real handful 
They've also signed Dallas, who I'm not totally sold on, but he's quick and he can score a goal. Um, I just think they seem to have gone to that horrendous patch they had and they're sort of starting to pick up some steam. What do you reckon about them? I know you guys have had some tasty derby matches with them. Yeah, they they always won in the playoffs after, was it last? Yeah, two, se- two seasons ago now, yeah. Um, where we, Mark Ellis scored in the like the dying minutes. Uh, to put us through. Um, and they had some really good chances in that game, to be fair to them. I think it was Nathan Tyson went through on goal twice, one-on-one, and he just he just didn't finish it. Uh, so on the span of the game, I mean, I think Chesterfield were probably the better team, but that was the, the game where fans had just been allowed back in and it was only home fans in. So it was, I think it was 4,000 knots fans spread around Medellin. Um, so we, we sort of had that advantage. Uh, but yeah, they definitely owe us one for that. And, you know, the game against them this season, um, they went out to 10 men and it was still a difficult result that we had to sort of grind out in the end. But we we still won. But it wasn't easy. I'm desperate for them to finish outside the, t- the second and third place just for more games for them, less chance of getting to the final. Because, I mean, if if Wrexham were to win the league and we were to go to the playoff final, National League would love to not to be Chesterfield playoff final. Um, and seeing what they released earlier, I'm not sure if you saw where they've said they can be a neutral zone. That wouldn't work. With <laughs> so you can pre, I don't know if you've seen, you can pre buy playoff final tickets on the 27th of April. So before you know who's in the final, ridiculous. You'll be placed in a neutral zone. I mean, mm. that's not placed in work. the danger zone, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work if we, if we get to, to Chesterfield. I've got, a, I've got a slight aside to Eddie's original question. Uh, if you do, if you do go up, and he says, hopefully by the playoffs. Do you think you'll be able to keep most of your key players? I think so. Yeah. That's from track act, that question. I think if would stay if we went up. There's no chance of him staying if we don't. Absolutely no chance. Yeah, what I don't mind is we were gonna, we're going to get a really good fee for him. And the fee we could get for Langstaff, what you could do, even reinvesting half of that into the squad, would be would be very good. Ruben is, my, is the one I don't want to lose, but... You know, that's what, what do you think you'd get of a Langstaff more than a, a million? I'd just, I'd, uh, yeah, I might get shot. I think, I think more than a million. If Vardy went for a million with how many scored, Langstaff's 26, but he has done it two seasons running now. He did it for Gateshead. Hmm. I think more than a million. Personally. You wouldn't kind want to like be much a, less than a million, would you? No, where would you place him? Kind of like a Southampton sign in Burnley, what, mid mid championship. Where, where would you? It's a bit of a punt, isn't it? If you've been talking, yeah, there's a few things like. Say a team like Sheffield Wednesday didn't go up, I think it'd be a starter for them, right? Or or a low, low championship side, maybe a Birmingham or someone like that. Yeah, they, they went for Shamanga, didn't they, on deadline day? Uh, yeah, in Jan was it? Does um, Does Rodriguez stay if you go up? Do you think? Um, yeah, I I'm not I'm not sure. I think he's played such good football. This, this season's been his best season for me, without a doubt, for Knotts. Um, and I think he can play at, I think he can play at a much higher level than he is. And I think he's earned it. Um, I'll be extremely sad if he does leave. It's, well, his contract expires anyway. So I would be extremely sad to see him leave. He's, he's been fantastic. He's got a real good affinity with the Knotts fans. Uh, but, you know, there, there comes a point where I, th- I could be wrong and say, I think he's 27 now, 27, 20, no, 26, 27. 27 at the start of next season. 
yeah, so he'll be 27 at the start of next season. Um, he's coming into the prime years of his career, really. I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge him for, for moving up, up the pyramid, and I could potentially see it happening. I hope I'm wrong, though. Uh, Tim, any more questions, or shall we move on to predictions? No, I think I mean, Ed Jones asked, would, would, would they consider it over if they drew on Monday? But I think you pretty much answered that. Depending, I mean, because obviously we've, we've both got games to, to kind of factor in on Friday, haven't we? And, yeah. you know, th- th- there's various permutations from it. So I would imagine that it would be a, a conclusive no, because there's still lots to play for, isn't there, really? Even, yeah, there is. You know, even even if, even if you know, the scenario for us is we won and uh, you didn't, there's a bit more of a gap, but there's still, there's still lots to play for. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, anything can happen. Stockport last year. They so nearly bottled it from it winning every week, non-stop. So, yeah, definitely could still happen. Yeah, like I said, there is tons and tons to play for. But I've got a couple of my own sort of slightly, slightly substandard questions. Um, <laughs> even reading this back, I'm not even sure that I want to read it out now because it's this is crapper than I thought. But I'm going to go with it anyway. So, so if Luke Williams is the non-league Pep Guardiola and Langstaff is the non-league Harland, um, who are Phil Parkinson and Paul Mullin? And you can be as honest or as brutal. Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I know, a good question. Reese has disappeared somewhere. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, know, I would have said Graham Potter back in. <laughs> what, Bright, like Brighton era, not Chelsea era. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Do you hate that comparison when you, when you see it, when you hear it? I think it's, I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> We um I don't know if you know uh, Gab Sutton who does like the the football league stuff uh, all over Twitter. We had him on a video as soon as we signed um, Luke Williams. He, he said, "Oh, he's really good." Had a video with him. He said he's the best tactical manager. What did he say outside of the Premier League? And we were like, "Yeah, of course he is. Of course he wow. is." So what he did against Swin- the Swindon didn't go well. Got sacked. We were like, "Yeah, of course he is." He's saying, "Oh no, the football he'll bring the possession football, the goals will score." We're like, "Yeah, all right." And then. I love the fact that George is proper, proper delving deep into his memory bank for that question I've just posed. Yeah, I am. I, I really am, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll remind Reese because Reese just dropped out. But I just said, Reese, that if Luke Williams is uh, is a non-league Pep Guardiola and and uh, and uh, Langstaff's a non-league Harland, uh, what is Parky and Mullin? Pretty solid question, that you know. So good, it was worth saying a second time. <laughs> <laughs> Mullin's Kane. Well, you know what? Funnily enough, I've got Kane written down. So I'll have that. I've got Arteta and Kane. Well, I can't compare Arteta on the basis of the, the age difference. <laughs> Definitely Kane. Definitely Kane. I'm not sure about. George's got to pick Parky's. Uh... Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe's not a bad shout. Yeah, Eddie Howe's a shout, actually. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Howe. Yeah, I'm going to say Eddie Howe. That's a good shout. I like that. Mobilising a team has got a bit of money behind it. I like the comparison. Yeah, good one. Eddie Howe and uh, our hours. So there we are. Happy days with that one. My, my last uh, sort of semi-substandard question was, uh, you're on your way to the match on Monday. What's on your uh, your Spotify playlist? What's blasting through the stereo as you're, uh, as you're uh, approaching the ground? Or is there, is there like a key, key uh, song for you that gets you in the mood for it? We play a game, don't we? Every time we go to an away day, I've got to mention it. We play a game called Guess the Year. 
So I'll be in charge of the, the Spotify playlist and I'll play a random song from the past 20 years and everyone's got to guess the year, pretty much. There you That's go. Doing away day. I mean, it, it's, when did it start? It started off, we lost 4-0 to Stockport. Stockport, yeah. It started Stockport on the way yeah, home, wasn't it? Yeah. Home. yeah. Uh, so anything, any song from the past 20 years. That wills it down. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> one song, Tom. Pick one song. I'll pick one song. What, what do we like? I don't know. Just, what do you like? I like a song. I, I asked them to play it before the Grimsby game. I know it didn't work in the end, but it's by Woodkid. It's called Run Boy Run. That got that was played on the speakers at night. So I like that. that. That gets me going for like like big games and things like that. But nice. How well known it is. I, I'm going to go for just one that one of my favourite songs, uh, Oasis Morning Glory. Gets me going. Strong. Reese, what, what would you play if you, you were to? Pick a song just before you're going to go into the race course, just to get you pumped for it. As in, as a fan, or am I in this imagined scenario playing for Exxon? No, as a fan. It's a fan, all right. Because I, um, I know most footballers have got poor um, musical taste, so um, you know it's pretty shit what they what they come about. That's a great question. I honestly don't know. I, I like to stay calm. I always did it when I, whenever I played sport in a big game. I'd always listen to something soothing. I'm partial to a bit of classical music, so I'd listen to Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto in D major first movement. Maybe I'm going to have a list of that after this. <laughs> I can't even believe you just said that. No, that's, that's, that's well, no, no, I can't, I can't, can't top that. That's that's can't argue with it because I've listened to it. So, well, you, yeah, exactly. You're a cultured man. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Um, yeah. So Should we I, do what's yours, Tim? Oh, what's mine? I mean, you know what I'm like. I've got quite a particular um heavy taste in music so um oh, you put me on the spot i wasn't supposed to answer my own question mega uh, death no give me some credit it'll be something you've never heard of uh there's a band called hate breed from connecticut and they've got a song called smash your enemies so i'll go with that <laughs> just because it's the first title i could think of that was like yeah that'll get me in new for it <laughs> Two two very different approaches to, to match day, but, but, but do, off, listen, off listen to of the musical spectrum. <laughs> listen, listen to whatever you want to listen to after you've listened to this podcast before uh, the game's coming up. Speaking of, let's do predictions. Let's just assume arrogantly, although we both got you know every game is is a, is a potential banana skin at this point. Let's assume we win our games on Friday. Wrexham Notts County on Monday. What's uh, what's your score predictions like? Two one knots. Oh, took the words right out of my mouth. Maka and Ruben. Ruben's this this year turned into a big game player. So Ruben Rodriguez does a lap of the pitch when he scores last minute. <laughs> Finally finishes the knees like the knots fans. There we go. Yeah, I I, I was literally thinking two one as well, but I'm going to say I'm going to say Cameron to score and and Langstaff because he has to. I think Langstaff and Mullin It's just what he does. Yeah. Okay, Tim, before you go, I think there are going to be goals. Um, I I think Wrexham are going to, you know, not to a fantastic football inside, as we know. Uh, and so I think, you know, I'd imagine that Parky will be telling them your number one job today is just make them as uncomfortable as possible. I know every team will have tried. But, um, you know, we've got some very good presses in our size. 
uh, and it can cause a lot of problems. However, you know, not so good an attack as well. So I'm going to say a two-all draw with uh, not getting a late equaliser to keep the title race a little bit alive. Tim? Uh, for some bizarre reason, I just decided to find out who the referee was for Monday. Um, it turns out it's Scott Tallis, an uh, experienced National League referee. He refereed Wrexham versus Chesterfield recently, also did Bromley versus Notts County, which finished one each. Gave Bromley two penalties against Nottingham. Excellent. So uh, <laughs> that's what we want to hear. <laughs> and then Sunday's, Sunday's posted, so he accepts the brown envelope. Perfect. <laughs> and he also bottled giving Bromley a third penalty and a red card for the keeper as well. So I don't know. On that basis, it's gonna, there's going to be a mulling penalty in it just for the, the whole conspiracy that he only scores penalties. Um, I'm going to I feel confident, obviously. And like you said before about there being a mistake because of the passing game, and I we we just we seem to have molded our midfield now into like this really dynamic unit that can pick pick teams off. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one or lost in midfield to be honest. So I'm going to go for a three-one win. Knots the score first. Who's your most important player for that game? Because it might be different to the big names we've spoken about. I know mine is for not. Most important player. That is tough. That is tough. Um, what do you reckon, Reese? I think I think um it's it's the midfield as a unit, and it's if we get our wing backs who have both been looking dangerous, who are both quick and both very good in attack. If they're in the game as much as Parky wants them to be, then we'll win. Barnett was almost unplayable on the weekend. He was class. Um, and Mendy is really quick and incredibly physical as well. So I would say the wing-backs slash the midfield. I know that's not one player, but I just think if if that ball is... If we're getting some purchase down the wing, then I think uh, you might be in trouble. I love the fact we're talking about any other player other than a former Premier League and former England goalkeeper between the sticks. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued about about the matchup. Whoever's going to be keeping tabs on on Langstaff because Tunnicliffe's so good now. He's such a good defender, athletic, just brave. Like the amount of time, the amount of stitches he's got in his head the past few months is unbelievable. You know, he just goes in brave, puts his head in all the time. So I'm really intrigued by by that matchup. So I think if, if you're going to single out a player from the sort of backline to shackle him, it's going to be it's going to be him for me. Um, yeah, lots to look forward to. I'll be keeping an eye out for Matty Palmer definitely, so I can report back. Um, but uh, I'm I'm already nervous about this game. I'm travelling up uh, from Swansea on the day. Um, but um, yeah, I hope you guys are looking forward to it, and you have a good day at the racecourse. Uh, and uh, yeah thank you for joining us and uh, good luck for the rest of the season after Monday definitely that echo that <laughs> thanks again to the lads from Notts County Talk for joining us um, for, a, for a good old chat about that massive game on Easter Monday. Apologies if I'm echoey. Uh, my new laptop died halfway through that and I'm on my phone. Um, we've also got a bonus chat for you. 
with finance, football financial expert Kieran Maguire. A couple of us sat down with him uh, earlier this week about Wrexham's accounts, which, of course, were released this week. Uh, here's that. Okay, so last week, the annual accounts for Wrexham AFC Limited were published online, and there were some pretty hefty figures involved, which showed the club lost nearly £3 million in the 12 months up to June last year, despite turnover increasing significantly up to almost £6 million. Uh, the temptation for us when reading the accounts is to think, well, we've got rich owners, so who really cares? But we wanted to dig a bit deeper into those numbers. So on our latest podcast, we're delighted to have football finance expert and presenter of the Price of Football podcast, Kieran Maguire. Kieran, welcome to Fearless in Devotion. Pretty busy time of year for you. Yes, for, for all football clubs who have a 30th of June financial year end, which is probably about 80% of them, um, the, the deadline for submitting accounts is the 31st of March. So, uh, yeah, the last few days have been a, a, bit, a bit of a juggling act uh, from from clubs from all tiers, uh, you know, National League through to to Premier League, and uh, it, it's the ones that have ones that are a bit late that are uh, I'm more concerned about at present rather than the ones that have published. Yeah, it's hard to keep up. So um, let's just start off with that headline figure for Wrexham and of an overall loss of three million pound, which seems quite large for a non-league club. But should should it be a cause of concern for for Wrexham funds? Do you think? I think there's two issues in respect to uh, the the profits and losses of clubs. A, are the losses sustainable from an investor point of view? And B, are the losses going to create problems from a uh, administrative or or, or league-based cost control basis? If if we take a look at those in turn, um, Wrexham's owners... They are wealthy. They're they're not you know uh, they're not in the Abramovich class, but they have they have a lot of support. Um, they also have some fairly uh, hefty corporate sponsors uh, as well. So I, I don't I don't foresee that being an issue um, as far as promotion this season is concerned. Where I think it's fair to expect those losses are going to be repeated, if not uh, increased. Um, promotion is in the highly desirable but not essential uh, category Um, and and once they get to the EFL I think there's there's another set of issues because um, under the National League rules there's not a uh, there's not a financial fair play uh, scenario that you have to deal with so it does allow clubs to accelerate out of the National League. We saw that with Salford City and, and Gary Neville's group. Um, and then you you are operating at a, a different tier. But uh, I, I think Wrexham, given the interest in the club and, and given the size of the attendances that they're generating, um, would be uh, well well placed to be very competitive in League Two at the very least. Yeah, and when we look at the um, the turnover figures, do you think that perhaps demonstrates what is you know potentially the benefit of this this ownership model, which is I suppose fairly fairly unique, you would say for especially for a, a, a club in our tier. Yes, I mean the 
for, for want of a better phrase, the, the Disneyfication of Wrexham as um, as an interesting project and an interesting product. I, I've I've watched them. I've watched Welcome to Wrexham, um, and I thought it was it was fantastic television. My wife did the same. She's she's not a huge football fan, but I think as a human interest story, and I think that's been very positive. I've also been to Wrexham. I, I was at Wrexham for Fans United, you know, going back many yeah. years, um, because as a Brighton fan, you know, we we had a a, a lot of sympathy, and, and and b we were able to sort of help the Wrexham fans, uh, you know, with sort of some with some guidance. And through we've been through similar circumstances, so, so we've seen it from from both perspectives, both as that that of a traditional fan, but also as um, as from want of a better phrase as a popcorn muncher and I think this is where the the model is fairly unique because although we have seen the the fly on the wall documentaries at the elite level with football players on an individual basis who have huge social media followings this time it's the owners which are not necessarily the stars of the show but the the first reason why people might might interact with the program and then you start to build up relationships with the people at the club, the fans, and and the and the city itself. So uh, it it is unusual. Um, I don't think it can be repeated very often because the, uh, the the first engagement factor has a limited shelf life. Um, but being first, I think, is absolutely essential, and and, and that's where the two owners have have got in at the right time. Yeah, and one thing we um, we should say from the you obviously get the narrative that comes along with these um, these accounts, which is that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have sort of committed to um, financing the club on an ongoing basis. How much do you take into those statements? How much should you read into them? The sort the sort of narrative that clubs weave alongside them. Well, I I, I think you you have to take them on face value. And also uh, the reputations of, of Reynolds and McElhenney, to a certain extent, stands on their comments. Um, and we are living in a world in which uh, opinions are quickly formed. And if they were to walk away, I think that would be very damaging for their brand. Um, they also, yeah, it, it's, they're, they're professional actors. Yeah, they, they, are, they, 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 are, they are from the world of showbiz, but they come across as pretty genuine but that's what actors are trained to do so therefore clearly you have to be um you know have to be slightly circumspect there but the, the things that they are saying are are appropriate in in terms of the level of investment and you know I, I, again i'd reiterate we're not looking at abramovich style uh levels of money being spent um i, I think the, the the present funding model works and there is scope um, once Wrexham are back in the uh, EFL for for the losses to uh, yeah, level out um, because you, the, the club can then start to benefit from the, the broadcast deals that are, that are in the, uh, the, the 92 um, and so on. Kieran, um, anyone who will see the state of my Santander account will know I am no finance expert in any way. But just sort of brushing over the, the accounts that I saw on your Twitter, there's one thing that did sort of stand out to me. It's interest being charged on the owner's loan, which is 4% above uh, the base rate. Is that unusual? Is that just the owners safeguarding themselves against against any sort of future future problems or, or 
or is that a little bit high? I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know. I think, I think that's actually a valid point you raise, Andrew, and, and that was one of the things which made me raise my eyebrows as well. Um, the majority of club owners who lend money to clubs do so interest-free, and that goes from the likes of Mansoor and Tony Bloom and Matthew Benham in the Premier League all the way down to the clubs in League Two and also many clubs in the National League as well. So, um, yeah, that that did cause me to wonder, um, without wanting to sound harsh, why does somebody like, uh, you know, Rob Reynolds, why, why does he need to nickel and dime of uh, a provincial football club? And, and that's that, to me, did come across as uh, strange or it could be indicative of perhaps they are getting funding from third parties and they're effectively, re- yeah, it's an interest recharge in terms of a much broader relationship um, as far as the uh, the investors are concerned because the the, the investing organisation, we assume that it is you know, Ryan Reynolds and McH- McElhenney um, themselves, but you know, they, they could be uh, you know, p- partners or that they could effectively be front of house for a broader investment project. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty good front of house men, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, um, just sort of, sort of what those loans could be. Is it, I know that we've, we've, um, we've bought the ground. Would, it, would buying the ground come into last year's accounts or would it be carried forward to the next year's? I'm just sort of trying to work out the sort of division of, of money here a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I've not actually got the, I've, I've just been putting my granddaughters off to nursery, so I've not actually got the figures directly in front of me because of the, the, the Monday morning chaos. But, you know, the logical thing to do is to get the funding in place first in, in exactly the same way you would, you would have in respect of, of buying a house. You, you get your funding and then that's in place to make the acquisition right. of a property. Um, it's certainly that the spending on property assets is a positive um, and that there is work to be done uh, at the ground because uh, it, it had been left to go fallow over a period of time because, as we know, that there are ongoing disputes with regards to some of the former people associated with the club who I think we'd rather wipe from our memories. Yeah, no. so it's, it's almost like they've got like a pre-mortgage sort of thing and then and then... You know that might come out in this this account, but then they'll actually buy the ground after that. But they've sort of safeguarded themselves. Could that be where the loan part came came from? Then it, it, it could be. I mean, there's there's a variety of ways of putting money into a football club. Um, loans are are one vehicle, and the issue with loans is a normally at one point in time they have to be repaid, and b as we've already discussed there can be interest charges. The alternative to that is, is to put money into the football club in the form of shares. Shares are never repayable. Um, what you do is that you sell the shares to another person if you want to recoup your money back. Um, and uh, dividends on shares, those are optional rather than mandatory. So we, we normally would prefer to have money put into a football club in the form of, of shares because it just gives that extra layer of protection. Um, sometimes the circumstances of club owners change and, and they start to demand their money back. I, I don't see this being the case with, with the two owners. I've, I've got to be honest, they have 
um, independently, very successful careers. And it's not like um, some of the others, uh, some of the other owners that I've seen in lower league football who, when you start to dig into their background, you go, that's quite a precarious industry that they're in. If their circumstances change or if they lose interest, we've then got a problem with the club. Um, that that doesn't appear to be the case. You know, again, we're, we're taking the two owners at face value, but as, as I said earlier, it, it wouldn't be in their interests to demand the money back because I think there'd be a huge backlash from from people who have engaged with the project, who have watched the the program on Netflix, and and have, you know, I'll be honest, enjoyed every minute watching it. You know, it's it's been it's been fantastic broadcast product. Just, just on that, um, I do you think that the club have actually had the full benefit benefit of a welcome to Wrexham yet? Because I know these these sort of these are accounts are a year a, a year behind. I mean, it, it sort of come out about ten months ago. Since then, I've seen a huge upturn in interest and and people buying merchandise and trying to come across and buy tickets. Do you think it's sort of next year where the the club will really really push on with regards to to, to, to that impact? I agree with you entirely. When when you're taking a look at a set of accounts, you're, you're looking in a rear view mirror and you're looking a long way back. Um, I would have expected Wrexham to push on. You, you've only got to look at you know, their, their, their football record this season, the number of fans they're taking to opposing grounds, the fact that uh, the stadium itself is, is effectively sold out or close to sold out every match. Um, football clubs get their revenue from three sources. Um, there's broadcast. Well, you know, if I'm BT Sport, Wrexham can be the club that I want to show as much as I can. You get match day income, which has been really good. And then as far as the commercial deals are concerned, we, we are talking about A-list sponsors. So I think they will have been very pleased with the level of interest. And that would have put the club in a strong position to, uh, you know, to extract add-ons, especially, you know, there could be promotion-based bonuses as well, because that extends the, the longevity of welcome to Wrexham as a show, because if they'd stayed in the National League for too many seasons, I think interest from a from a broadcast perspective, and therefore you know, commercial partners are looking for eyeballs, um, that that would have de- decreased. I think the opportunity to go into the EFL next year, I would expect them uh, having compared budgets, uh, the, the, yeah, the the Wrexham. Um, playing budget, the fact that they are the first club in history to spend more than a million pounds on players um, is, is, is unheard of. Um, so you know, all of these are, are, are very significant. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know, I know what you mean about that. There's not too many glorious failures you can have if you want to keep a, an audience engaged. Last one from me, and um, at the moment there's some sort of rivalry, you know, like a Twitter rivalry between us and Notts County. Um, they come at us and say that's un- un- unsustainable. We go back saying you're foot sixteen million pound in debt. I mean, what is how how does the, the Notts County not wanting to, po- to score points before before the big game on Monday? I, I do want to score points. Um, how <laughs> how does the sort of the, the model differ when it comes to county? Do you, do you know much about about how their debt is levied? Yeah, I, I think theirs is interest free, which I think is a slight difference, but. Um, it, it's an owner-funded football club at present, and, and that's what you have to do. The National League is very competitive. Um, a significant number of clubs are full-time. Uh, the the Wrexham wage bill, I, w- I would expect, would be cl- higher than that of Notts County. Um, but 
I think this is very much a willy-waving contest between different sets of fans as far as social media is concerned and has to be taken in, in, in that sort of uh, framework. Um, both clubs have owners coming from, from different backgrounds but who want to achieve the same aim. Um, I think there's a very good case for saying that uh, this, this is a perfect example of why uh, three up, three down should be the norm as far as uh, the EFL and the National League is concerned. I know I was talking to Mark Ives from the National League a few weeks ago, and he is saying, well, yeah, that's that's ideally what they're looking for as well. Um, and even when I start to talk to chief executives of, of clubs in the EFL, they're now saying it might be in our interests because if we go down and there's three coming up, that gives us a better chance to come up. So I think there's there's certainly a change in mindset. Um, both clubs would not be where they were, were it not for the owners. And both clubs have come out of having owners whose interests, I would say, were not necessarily football focused. Kieran, we've talked to, before about the, um, the documentary being used as, I don't know, would you call it from a model for investment? How far do you think it has the ability to go? Because I, I, I'd say we've seen with a lot of these documentaries, they have a very particular shelf life, don't they? Yes, I, I think the difference uh, in terms of Welcome to Wrexham is it's funny. You know, it, it, it is because you've got two people who are naturally engaging, naturally, um, you know, very funny, self-deprecating and so on. So therefore, it's sort of moves slightly away from the sports dock arena into one which is more uh more sort of family entertainment and uh, therefore it, it does have the opportunity to assist the club league two and league one i don't see as being too much of a a huge hurdle for for wrexham in terms of their progress i think should they manage to progress um, should they get to the championship, then that is a completely different environment because the average losses in the in the EFL championship, you remember you've got clubs there with who are regularly getting crowds of 30,000. You've got a few clubs already in the in the, in the in League One who are getting that type of, of money. Um, but the average losses are are sort of in the region of 300 to 350,000 pounds a week as opposed to you know, three million a year. Um, and, and that would uh, mean rig, you know, irregardless of the um, uh, of, of the uh, the documentary, anything of uh, anything of additional money coming in through that vehicle. I think it would be um, more a much more challenging environment. Yeah, well, I think returning to that level where we well, when I started supporting Wrexham, we were in League One level. I think that would be a nice, uh, certainly a nice place for us to get back to. Um, and on that note, Kieran, I'm no doubt that there'll be plenty of people waiting for your financial expertise as we speak. So um, just to say from us, thank you very much for giving us your time. Cheers. Well, thanks very much for the invite and all the best for the rest of the season. Uh, I've I had probably the, 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 the nicest welcome of any football club I've ever been to when, when I went to the Wrexham Fans United uh, match. Uh, and I appreciate it was many years ago. I, I was one of the people carrying the banner around the perimeter of the ground. It's about, I think it was around about 2004. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was it was it was humbling and heartening to meet so many great people at the club.
Yep. Thanks Thank again. you. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks again to Kieran for his time, uh, and that's all for us this week. Enjoy the Easter weekend. We'll catch up with you after uh, the game on Monday, and hopefully everyone at Phyllis in Devotion Towers and all the Wrexham fan base will be in a very good mood. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. At the time. Cheers. Thank you.